You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. I met the other day with a terrific PCP group who asked me uh, when I'm leaving the fee-for-service model and diving into value-based care. And I answered very carefully and very respectfully this, because I don't really see a real future in fee-for-service as we know it. I think it's going to be replaced for sure because of the incentives in the wrong place. But value-based care, while it's a wonderful concept, I told them, it keeps heads out of beds, but it has a hat trick to do it. And the hat trick is treat the 15 to 20% chronics that are actively sick, that are not well, and hope zero healthy patients come in. That's really the ideal model for value-based. And really pay attention because these severe cases really want the help and need the help, which is a patient you want to have. They're in desperate need and they're compliant. That drives the savings largely in my humble opinion. But here's the rub. Because 94% of most, well, 90% of Americans are not adherent to their medications. On the most recent study I saw, I've seen studies lows 86%, as low as 50%, but 94% was the latest people that are not taking their meds right. 50% are not going to the specialist after being referred. 12% of people smoke, and there's been billions spent on a campaign to keep people from smoking, but vaping is quickly reversing all the gains we got from these campaigns. So most patients will not tango with their doc because they just don't care. I estimate two-thirds to three-fourths don't care. They want care when they want it. They don't want weight loss clinics. They don't want smoke cessation cessation programs. They want diets that work, and none of them work, except maybe January 1st through 15th. That's it. You can gamify patient engagement to try to reverse these trends, and you can even try fear, but they just don't comply except when they're very sick. So the savings in value-based care, I'm betting, are largely with these severe and chronic cases of hypertension and asthmatics and diabetics, et cetera. VBC is important for overall healthcare savings, very, because a third of our spend of this $4 trillion healthcare economy is in the third of those folks that are super chronically sick. But macro population health stats, I don't think VBC is going to move the dial. There is no incentive to treat the non-chronics. There's no, um, they're not going to come to the clinics. That's good for the doc. If I'm wrong, tell me why. So you want better care and lower costs? I think there's two options, and this is my humble opinion, but I think, number one, you have to break up the PCP consolidators, and since that will never happen, here's what will. Teach PCPs how to make a great living with direct primary care and ancillary services if you're going fee-for-service. There are PCPs in both of those areas, ancillary and direct primary care, who make more money than plastic surgeons and who have a better life. And that's the model that works. The traditional model does not work. I've seen tax returns, so I know this to be true. Today, we're going to meet not only a thought leader, but really an innovator in direct primary care. So this is a baby movement. It's only 1,100 physician practices across America right now. They're in not even all 50 states. Dr. Josh Umber 
is the founder of Atlas MD, and he lives in Dorothy and Toto country, Wichita, Kansas. Yes, he was sir. raised. Yeah, and you were raised in Alma and married your high school sweetheart. Is that right? That's correct. All right. So, is, does she wear a blue gingham dress and carry a little basket with a dog in it? Not lately. <laughs> okay. Well, Atlas MD is so impressive when you get to know them down deep because they're really an ideal medical practice, in my opinion, because they've been able to shrug off the burdens and restrictions of the government and insurance regulation and can focus solely on the patients. And they have published their prices for pretty much every procedure you can imagine a PC has. Am, am I right about that? We try to do as much as we can. Absolutely. It's always a question like you alluded to of how much value can you provide to the, the customer, in this case, the patient. All right. Well, I'm, I want to get into your model in a little bit here, but let's talk about, I want to get your opinion on a few issues that are pressing. How does value, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about value-based care. I'm talking about direct primary care affect physician shortages. If more uh, residents were exposed to direct primary care like Atlas, what do you think would happen with primary care shortages? Well, I think there's two great ways to answer that. Uh, I mean, history for us has shown that when the patients or when the, the residents are seeing a better lifestyle, they gravitate towards this. Um, there are some preliminary and, and resolving fears about where would this movement be? But we started this 10 years ago when no one knew what this was, and it's only growing faster and faster. So yes, uh, adopting a new model comes with some residents' concerns about uh, lifestyle and income and a little bit of risk. But really, when they start to compare it to the current model, you know, the, the breakdown falls apart. 70% you know, chance of burnout in the current model, declining revenue, inclining stress, uh, so each year that that comparison is, has gotten more of a win for direct care. But what we're also seeing is physicians are not just retiring and, and quitting the industry altogether. They're pivoting towards the direct care model because it's, it's really everything they wanted. It's providing great care with lots of time to their patients at a lower cost that saves their patients money while still being sustainable or better for the physician. And I well, let's, yeah, let's talk about the better for the physician part, because I'm going to ask a very coarse question. When I went to Israel, I got asked a million times, the many times I go, how much money you make in America? And I tell them how much sex you have in Israel? And they go, what? That's very <laughs> personal. And I go, well, so is your question. And that's not a polite question, but I'm going to ask you an impolite question. What are DPCs ranges making percentage wise? Are they making 20, 30, 40% more than a typical PCP or are they right on average? Do you have any sense of that? I think it really depends on the area, um, you know, not to oversell it uh, in the sense that you've got family physicians across the country who are doing variations on uh, inpatient, outpatient, OB, procedure heavy scopes, um, 40 patients a day or 60 patients a day. And, and depending on the system they're in, you will obviously heavily affect what the average income is. Uh, but I, I know what a lot of residents are being offered uh, locally coming out uh, in these big hospital-owned systems. And it's, you know, 130, 140,000 base, uh, plus some benefits and plus the idea that if they hit production, they can uh, get more. But, you know, that's the trick is they'll never hit production. The, the hospital systems locally at least have central scheduling and make sure that the simple stuff gets farmed out um, 
to the store clinics and and not to the docs who might uh, get an, a forty thousand dollar bonus. So that uh, average can vary, but if they're coming out at one thirty, one forty, uh, we're offering our docs a salary of two hundred thousand a year for seeing six patients a day. And I think the money is not as high as it could be relative to, like you said, um, if you're working the insurance system, you, you in seeing 40 people a day, you can make more, but we're balancing income and, and lifestyle. But we also have physicians who say, look, I'm, I'm happy seeing seven or eight or, or nine or 10. So I'll take a slightly higher patient panel and make 250 or 300,000 a year uh, on this model. So there, there's a range and it's, it's, good to better. One of the amazing things about your career is that you went straight into DPC. It was a lifelong goal. In other words, you did not do a a stint anywhere. You went straight to your own practice and started a model that really was not even in place. Is that right? Correct. Uh, We'd been dreaming about this for uh, 10 years, basically, from uh, undergrad until um, we launched uh, two months after we graduated from residency. That's a very impressive. I want to get into that in a little bit, but I'll, let's talk about these other issues. So doc shortages, I think you're telling me primary care, more will choose primary care if they can make something equivalent to what a specialist makes with a lot less stress and a lot less work. That's what you're saying, I think. I, I think everybody goes into medicine with the grand ambition of, of being very patient focused, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress. And at some point you, you balance that, what would I love the most versus what gives me the the best lifestyle revenue longevity uh you know it's fun to be family medicine but if you had to be a pauper to to do it or have the highest burnout rate high divorce rate etc that's that's not good Uh, so we can show them in a weird way you you can have the best of all options here and and that often sounds too good to be true Uh, but especially with med students as they're making these pivotal decisions they follow passion. And if they go and see primary care and see no passion uh, from the doctors and nothing but stress and burnout, they're not going to be incentivized regardless of what the money is. So we have to show them that the lifestyle is better, the patient care is exciting, there's a lot of variety and choice and, and professional autonomy and less stress from government and insurance, et cetera. So once they see that, uh, they, I think, will gravitate to uh, primary care. Are there any um, residency programs in Wichita that allow the residents to spend a day or two with you so you can show them how the practice works? Yeah, uh, we have a med school in town and two different residencies. So we'll have internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine residents come through just from local. But then um, we're fortunate to have students and residents from across the country. So I'd say most months out of the year, at least six months out of the year, we have somebody shadowing us for either a few days or a couple of weeks. Very encouraging. That's a, that's can move the dial for sure. Um, let's talk about burnout. I'm sad to hear there's no studies that have been done on direct primary care burnout because I guess y'all just assume this doesn't exist, but it's, uh, you know, that I would love to see a comparison of your world of 1100 uh, practices against just the norm out there and, and show what amazing difference it would be. Are there any studies you're aware of? No, I, no studies yet, um, but I think a lot of uh, evidence to show an improvement because all the burnt-out doctors that it, you know started their own direct care practices and can point to the fact that this changed their life, that it was leave medicine entirely or go direct care, 
you go to the conferences and they're the happiest conferences uh, in medicine because the doctors are doing what they want to do. They're learning from each other on how to do it better because ultimately it means they're helping their patients. Um, I think if you look at the studies to show what are the root causes of burnout, it's everything that we don't do. It's high patient volume. It's high stress. It's high insurance bureaucracy. It's, it's, uh, prior authorizations for lisinopril that cost 60 cents a month. It's just ridiculousness of a over-designed system. And doctors, they, they went to med school to take care of patients, not paperwork. Direct care lets them get back to that. How much time, doc, do you spend on your EHR versus uh, the, the numbers we're hearing, obviously, in the larger world is two hours for every hour in front of a FaceTime with a patient? What is your paperwork with your own i think you have your own custom design ehr you created at atlas we did uh we created our own system because uh there was nothing that did what we needed it to do in a, in a new model but because we're not charting for insurance we can chart what matters um you know, charting for insurance now has become a game in a, in a billing process not to say that all these things can't be important but we won't pay you if you didn't do enough review of systems yeah but I wanted to chart by exception. Well, you can, but we won't pay you for that. And now we won't pay you if you didn't review smoking history and family history. But it was strep throat, or I was really busy with all the other things I did, or if I don't document, I didn't do it. So now we've created charting as as billing noise and things that are getting automated, like you uh, had an orthopedic visit for a 16-year-old male that was documented to be amenorrheic, which I guess technically is correct. Um, but it might just be you know, overly zealous EMR clicking to, to get paid for what you did. I can document a strep throat note in 30 seconds because mm -hmm. I can say what is really important. I can do a mental health visit that maybe took an hour and summarize it down into just what I need or a very long note. But it's up to me. I'm already paid for the work I've done. Now I'm documenting for this as a reference point. And, and I think it gets us back to what uh, clinically matters. So yeah, um, I wouldn't say I spend 30 minutes a day charting, but I only see six or seven people a day in the office. And then when we're, we're helping patients by telemedicine, all the ca calls, texts, emails go right into their chart. So the conversation I'm ha having with the patient is the documentation, uh, yeah. which I think is, is fantastic. Lovely. Well, I'm going to throw you the, you've never heard these before, I'm sure, but these are the concerns that people have with DPC. And I'll start with my own personal concern because you have such a small cohort. I mean, you may have 10,000 patients for all I know at Atlas, but if you have six a day, um, I guess you're treating people that want to get treated there. So they're self-referring and you're not seeing those that just uh, don't need to be seen, but how in the world is six patients a day going to take care of 330 million Americans if it became universal? Well, actually, I think that's a, a great question and some fun math. So I'll ask you because uh, it's more fun that way. What What is the average number of patients per primary care physician? 25. Average. Call it 20, 25 a day. Uh, patient panel size total. Oh, uh, they'll have 2,500 to 5,000 per doc. Okay. And how many primary care physicians, mid-levels, et cetera, are there? Um, well, you call it 400,000 when you throw in mid-levels. So four, 400, a little over 400,000 times 2,500 takes you out to 100 million people, if my math is uh, right. Uh, no, it's a little bit closer to a billion. Oh, so, a billion. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we don't have a billion people. Uh, so the stats I usually use are 2,000 patients per doctor and about 500,000 docs who could be doing primary care between family medicine, peds, women's health, mid-levels, um, okay. just from simple math. And you're probably right, probably, you know, somewhere between 400 and 500 and somewhere between 2,000 and, and three or 4,000 patients. Point is, um, we, we're not seeing that, right? We yeah. don't have a billion people. What we do have is, again, just for simplicity of math, 500,000 primary care physicians and providers uh, times 600 patients each is 300 million Americans. So I, I actually think we have the right number of doctors. Uh, I'll like to be contrarian, uh, obviously, that's, that's our whole model, and everyone talks about the physician shortage, but then I mentioned those stats. Uh, the American Academy of Family Physicians did a study and they have the most conservative numbers uh, that says only 22% of a doctor's day is wasted doing non-clinical paperwork. Um, other studies have it as high as 75% when you include EMR time and whatnot. But if you took 22% of, of the day and applied it across the primary care workforce, the study showed uh, that's the equivalent of 165,000 full-time equivalent physicians added back in. But we don't have a numbers issue. We have an efficiency issue. We have doctors spending all their day clicking boxes on EMRs for payment for something that clinically didn't take them very long. And we're, we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater there when you have insurance paying for uh, a, a medicine, uh, Pixofran, that could be $200 at the pharmacy that we get 30 pills wholesale for $1.53. But the doctor is so busy that they don't think about dispensing it in their office. They send it off to the pharmacy. The pharmacy gets to upbill. Insurance goes up. So insurance requires more paperwork to try to cinch down on these problems. And then, or it gets denied, or the patient asks for a different medicine. And now we're chewing our cud because in between charting for the rest of the patients, we have to try to rework the things that we did earlier in the day. Uh, the reality is when a patient can call, text, email their doctor, a picture of their rash, uh, when they can email their physician at 2 a.m. when they're thinking about their depression and not have to wait till an office visit that's only seven minutes long, I think we get a richer, more involved, more productive uh, care. And, and I think there's enough patients and there's enough physicians. Uh, we, we just have to be smarter about what we're doing. I've seen the Texas Telehealth Association numbers that say something like, 70% of all physician visits are completely unnecessary if you use telehealth, to your point. Uh, yeah, I, to some degree. I mean, I, I can see both sides of that because I think telemedicine implies to some degree that there's already a great relationship with the doctor and that if the you know picture of the mole looks suspicious and they have somewhere to go or they'll talk to you about their anxiety because they've met you a couple of times, uh, and, and have some trust and rapport with you. But, uh, but yeah, um, it, it's amazing how much of what we do is payment model driven. Uh, EKGs, for example, why do we bill people for those? The hard cost is 36 cents. The coffee in my waiting room is 60 cents a cup. Um, you know, some of these things that we do are ridiculous. Uh, I've done several procedures, uh, a hemorrhoidectomy uh, twice this uh, week and, and for free because I, I don't have a $2 in supplies. 
Um, and these are people who are paying on a consistent basis. And, and that's the power of, of a membership model. It's why Blockbuster is, is bankrupt and non-existent and Netflix is thriving. It, it, it evens out the bumps between providers and patients so that we can just provide the, the care that they need when they need it without having to upcharge everything. I, I like that. If you were to double your cohort, if you had, uh, I don't know how many patients you have, but if you doubled it, would you be seeing 12 a day or would you still, would you start refusing patients or how does, how does that work in your world? I think it's very much um, patient driven, business model driven. Uh, yes, it'd be nice to double the patient panel and double the revenue, but if you double the work and you're not efficient and patients can't get in same day, they can't get their phone calls, text messages, emails answered in, in a responsive way, then they're going to go vote with their feet and, and their dollars. And they're going to go to someone else who is available to them. Um, so I, I think 1200 is probably far too much, but I think there's wiggle room. I think geriatrician could might have 400 but at $100 a month, make more than I make at my 600 patients because I'm anywhere from 10 to $100 a month. But, but a pediatrician might have 1000 at a different price point. And it's kind of like running a restaurant. If you have a, a restaurant that seats 60, but you have a kitchen that feeds 30, you've, you've built it wrong. And you're going to have upset customers. So here we're trying to balance out what is the expectation from our, our clients and our patients and, and their need with, you know, a sustainable business model. So you have four white coats between your two locations in Wichita. And I'm going to assume that four white coats each have of roughly as many patients as you have. So does that, do y'all have roughly 1600 to 2000 in your panel? We have uh, five physicians each with a little over 600. So uh, we're closer to 3,300. Uh, I have one okay. partner who um, is able to take more patients, and so he makes more revenue. Well, okay. So uh, I'm not going to go back to your math because it was is interesting and quite compl complicated for a radio show. But in the end, um, if you take 3,300 patients and divide that into 100,000 of the 500,000 number you gave us, that doesn't cover America. Now we're covering half of America. So, no, six, 600 patients each times 500,000 would be three. Uh, 300 million. Okay. So we're, we're close. I got we're, it. We're, we're very close. Um, okay. give or take and, and could the physician see seven or 800? Yeah. yeah. And would that mean, you know, slightly shorter times, but again, depends on the day. But, um, I think you also have patients that want the Kia and the Mercedes and everything in between. And what is the overwhelming prejudice that's keeping the other 499,000 away from this model. I don't under, I don't get it. Well, we, we get that question a lot. Like if this is so great, why don't I see it everywhere? And, and I think in context, you realize that when we started in 2010, there weren't five clinics doing this model across the country. Um, and now we have over probably 1200 clinics, you know, doing this for 1200 docs, um, and it took Starbucks 17 years to get 17 stores. And we, we've gone from more or less zero to a uh, thousand plus in, in nine, nine and a half years. It's, it's really amazing growth. And I think always going to be curving up. Now, Pandora's box has been opened. Uh, 
once patients know that they can get medicines for a penny a pill, unlimited visits, no co-pays, free telemedicine, 24-7 access to a physician that they have a relationship with, um, that's all great. But for the last six, seven years, we've been pushing into the insurance side, showing small businesses and their insurance companies how to work with this model uh, to decrease insurance premiums by 30 to 60 percent. I'm trying to imagine if uh, if this works in pediatrics well, like a pure PD practice or a pure internal medicine or pure OBGYN. Is this going to work well in all the PCP uh, verticals? It's it's slightly different tweaks on the business model, but we have pediatricians doing this. We have um, endocrinologists doing this. We have a pediatric endocrinologist doing this, Dr. Robert Ferry in um, in, in Texas. Uh, so it's really interesting. We have neurology, psychology, um, anything that's on a chronic care spectrum, this is perfect for. Women's health, postmenopause health, uh, and, and then anything that's more on the acute care, it's more fee-for-service. Uh, and, and then you have room for things in the middle. So radiology and pathology are, are dear God, I hope, always fee-for-service. Um, I hope you're not so sick as to need a membership pathologist. But uh, dermatology, mostly fee-for-service with probably 10%, 20% uh, option for a chronic care membership. Mm-hmm. You know, something like cardiology. Funny, I thought, you know, I thought the precise. I thought the precise opposite. I thought you don't want chronics in your population. You you want just healthy. But you're telling me it doesn't really matter to you. You prefer people that are managing their chronic conditions. I mean, I I think on some level, you know, you say, boy, it'd be nice to have six hundred patients who never need me. But but then when you're in that model and and that's how you feed your family, you start to realize how. Um, weak that connection is to them if they're healthy like hey if i don't run then why do i go to the gym if i don't need your services yeah i might pay for it for a while but it's not a value add so once i need that money more than something else uh i'm, I'm gone chronic care okay. patients ideally are our best patients i mean we want to keep them healthy and show them how to how to you know, decrease their their uh, issues but if you've got migraines and and my imitrex is three dollars a month generic wholesale and it's $200 cash price at the pharmacy, then you're thrilled. I'm providing you a value every month. Netflix, in theory, would make more money if people signed up and never watched because they don't sell any ads. So if you don't watch, you don't use any bandwidth, you save money. But but they want people watching. They they, they want an attraction that keep brings you back. So you've blown you blew my mind twice or three times in this conversation. Well, the first thing you said was that $10 a month, you can make a profit. That blows me away. The second thing you said was that geriatrics will sign up for a monthly fee when they have Medicare. I don't get that. Well, um, I don't think most people are real happy with Medicare. Hmm. It's good at what it pays for and, and not great at what it doesn't. Um, docs aren't thrilled with Medicare. Uh, it's... Um, Maybe they pay well or consistently when they want to, but at the same time, MACRA and MIPS and, and all the hoop jumping is only getting worse. And you couldn't have a, a private practice built entirely on Medicare because it wouldn't be profitable. Mm-hmm. And those patients are realizing that. They realize they don't have choice because not all doctors are taking Medicare or taking new Medicare. And um, you know, there's, for example, medicine that uh, a lot of Medicare patients need that sixty-six dollars cash price at the pharmacy that we get wholesale for thirteen cents. 
So I'll argue that the $100 a month Medicare patient is cheaper than the $10 a month uh, child because I can save the, the Medicare patient in excess of, of their membership. Interesting. No, I'm going to dig into your site a little bit and tell you that it's a 10 out of 10. I've never seen a site so clear. I wish your pricing sheet was more easy to find. I had to really dig a little bit harder than I needed to probably for that. But let me just read um, from your website what is just at no cost, and it's going to blow everybody away that's listening. Free EKG, free Holter monitor, which is a heart test. Is that a heart test of some kind? Yep. Uh, You wear it for 24 hours to monitor your heart. DEXA scan is just a bone density scan, right? Mm-hmm. Free, de- free bone density, free body fat analysis, free spirometry, which we use in allergy for asthma uh, regulation or measurement, breathing treatments, cryotherapy. I can't believe that's in there. Lesion removal, laceration repair, and there's a bunch more on your list of free services you offer. How do you make money giving this away? That's the, the really kind of interesting part. So I'll, I'll back up and, and tell two of my favorite little business stories uh, that I think help identify why this works out, but why it doesn't make sense to people in the beginning. Uh, the first one is Christopher Columbus's egg. Uh, whether or not it's true, it's a good tale. Uh, he discovers the world's round, and they kind of already knew it. But he comes back, and all the king's horses and all the king's men say, well, you're not that smart. Anybody could have done it. So he offers them a, an egg and ask them to make it stand on it. All the king's horses and all the king's men swear it can't be done. He takes the egg, crunches the bottom, egg stands up. And what seemed impossible to the masses now is so benignly simple, you could teach anyone. We we put a pin in that and then talk about um, Napoleon's aluminum. And aluminum was so rare and so difficult to get out of bauxite that when Napoleon wanted to impress dignitaries, the generals ate off silver, he ate off gold, and they ate off aluminum. Now, fast forward to a technological innovation, and electrolysis makes aluminum so easy to get out of bauxite, we literally throw it away. <laughs> and, and back then, that would have been insane. So we, we take these two things and say, well, how can you, there's no way that you can make healthcare cheaper and faster and easier with less insurance, and then you show them. And, and suddenly, like, oh, you mean... I can buy uh, the Imitrex that's $200 at the pharmacy for, for 3 to $5, depending on the dose. It, 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 you didn't have to redo anything. It's been there the whole time. I just didn't know where to log in. Yep. And then you say, well, but surely you, you, know, you, need, you can't make the rest of healthcare cheaper. And we insert the, the new innovation of a business model, a platform for direct care that says, yeah, if you can get people to pay you a small amount amount monthly, you can give them a value in excess of that several times. And we can, you know, do a CBC for a dollar fifty, uh, a thyroid test for a dollar sixty nine, an A one C for two dollars and twenty five cents, and I can get you a thousand metformin pills for eleven dollars and forty five cents. Um, and we were talking on the Facebook forums for direct care docs today about a, a doc doing a prior off because the patient was um, going to be charged several hundred dollars for 30 days of metformin generic. You know, it's just amazing. Is this not uh, pharma made in Vietnam and sweat factories? This is the real deal you're talking about. This is where uh, the, the pharmacists get their medicines. Um, that's the funny thing. It's always been this way. We didn't invent anything in that regard. Um, cash prices, client bill prices have always been an option for the labs. 
Now, if you go through insurance, it triples the price on everything because more paperwork, more headache, more hassle. Um, it, you, you talk to Peter Thiel or, or you know, the co-founder of PayPal or um, Peter Diamonds. Uh, he's author of several great books, but uh, Abundance. And say, if you look, or Exponential Organizations is another, if you look at all this innovation that's happening, uh, what we'd call unicorns or you know, Silicon Valley type stuff, it's always a simplification of a previous business model. We're going to make getting hotels faster, easier, cheaper. You know, we're going to make getting taxis faster, easier, cheaper. Movies, food, Amazon, whatever it was. It, it, it never got more complex and more expensive for the customer. But that's the direction we've gone in healthcare. So if you apply those same business principles that make a better product for the customer to healthcare, it's kind of amazing it took us this long nobody's been happy doctors patients employers or insurance companies but we we've, we've rejected this idea of, of business innovation at the bedside because it's unprofessional and unbecoming of a caring clinician to be uh, business focused and and that led to you know uh, what i'd say great harm to our patients a violation you, of our oath you must read with amusement these pharma pricing uh, alarms that are coming up everywhere. When you read them, you just go, you know what, guys, it's just give me a call. Come on. What, so let's talk, let's talk about the three most common drugs. What will you charge? Uh, well, what does a patient pay for albuterol with Atlas versus uh, retail? Um, albuterol is one that we don't have a huge discount on. The, the vials would be about um, two, two and a half dollars for 30 vials. An inhaler would be about... Uh, $20 for 60 puff, $34 for a uh, 200 puff. Um, and then on good RX, you can see it anywhere from, uh, you know, 25 to 50 for a 60 puff inhaler, anywhere from 40 to 80 for a 200 puff inhaler. It's pretty significant to me. Now, what about a, a high, pick your favorite hypertension drug? Uh, hydrochlorothiazide, we, uh, it, the price will fluctuate, but at its best price, we got a thousand pills for five dollars. My God! And then what about insulin? Um, can't get insulin cheaper because there's not a generic. Um, yeah. But what I like to think is uh, was Lily who back in March decreased their cost uh, of Humalog uh, by fifty percent, and, and I, I I'd like to think in small part, um, maybe very small part, to this growing movement. Um, of direct care and, and price transparency is when patients have high deductibles, they're very price conscious. And when they have a service like direct care where the doctor has both the time and the, the ability and the know-how to look for the best prices, then they do and they save them a bucket. And you know, maybe not in, in insulin for type ones, but then for type twos, it's a little bit more flexible or just get them off of it and, and, and spend an hour a week with a patient until they need less insulin. And, um, and patients are demanding that same kind of price transparency that they can get from us from uh, the other key segments in the healthcare ecosystem. There's so much to talk about, and we don't have a lot more time, but I, your brother is a consultant for any practice that wants to convert over, and he's on your staff. Am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kirk? And I think Kirk is a whole nother interview. I'd love to hear what he does, to, you know, from the very top to the very bottom when he's consulting with a traditional doctor about converting over to uh, your new religion that you are touting. Because I, I, I'm really just totally amazed that this is not out there, you know, at five or 10, 20,000 scale after 10 years. It just seems so logical, so simple. I, I think that's it. Um, I, I joke that for as much as the Canadians 
take a national pride in, in their healthcare system, warts and all. Uh, we sort of have a, an odd national pride in the in, in complaining about the system, but not expecting it to be fixed. I mean, we could yeah. have heard every politician from both sides of the aisle suggest something, and it's always yeah. been some variation on more insurance, more government, more headache. Uh, but this is finally, you know, an elegant solution to the problem. So Kirk will do um, all the consulting free to any doctor, uh, no matter if they use our software or not. We're passionate about watching this movement grow in the right way. And rising tides raise all ships. So soup to nuts will walk docs from nothing to you know a launch clinic, uh, because if we don't, the the results are much worse. It's, it's patients who are getting poor care because of burnt out doctors who, you know, work too many hours or too sleepy, have no empathy, that are depressed and anxious themselves. I mean, we lose a physician a day to suicide. Um, mm-hmm. That's how bad it is out there. So, uh, you know, we kind of feel like that's our way of giving back to the industry as well uh, to you know, not hoard this solution, but but get it out there so we can move as fast as we can. But you think if you take our physician suicide rate against the veterans, we're actually higher in, in primary, well, in all of medicine than we are in uh, veterans. So veterans, 20, 40 a day, suicides, you know, physicians, one and a half a day. There's no comparison with the rate because of the smaller number of physicians. Which is, is absolutely insane. But we've yet to have a, a suicide in direct care. And I, I don't know if we have the statistical power there yet, but, you know, go from zero to a thousand plus doctors and, and one to nine years, I think we'll, we'll start to show that is th- this is a way where physicians can have some some work-life balance while providing enough care to all the patients without any pre-existing conditions, you know, flat pricing, unlimited visits, uh, no co-pays, free procedures, wholesale meds and labs. We've done breast cancer chemotherapy for $6 a month. I mean, mm-hmm. breast cancer will always be scary, but it's a lot less scary when it's $6 a month for your medicine. And then if you're saving 50 to 60% on your health insurance, that's, I mean, people are paying more on health insurance than they are in their mortgage right now. And that's yeah. killing families. So even the healthy are, are suffering, uh, let alone the sick, because they're, they're missing out on life opportunities that they would have if um, this insurance wasn't such an albatross around their necks. So I have to ask this final question because, I, boy, I have a lot more. More questions. I think we need to do another talk sometime soon. But if I have a catastrophic catastrophic event, so yeah, it's one in 10,000, one in a million. It's a low odds deal, but it is everybody's worst fear. The cancer, the car accident, the stroke. How does that get handled if I'm strictly DPC? Don't I need a catastrophic layer on top of that? I think we get the um, impression that we are anti-insurance or anti-government, when in reality, we're, we're pro-efficiency. And um, I think this hits very near and dear to us. My daughter was born unexpectedly uh, with Down syndrome when we were in med school, uh, three weeks in the ICU, and that was only $160,000 back then. I, I hate to see what that would be now. Um, but thankfully, we had insurance because the school makes us, and, and it covered it. And, and so we appreciate that those things happen, but we also appreciate that they are relatively rare and, and made rarer in the, in the catastrophic financial sense if you can decrease the cost of healthcare by 80 plus percent. We can get an MRI for $300, not 3000 
And if you can decrease what you're spending on health insurance by, again, five to $800 a month, then you could be healthier. It's less stress at work, the less financial stress. You can join a gym, you have more time, you have all these opportunities, but now you can treat your high cholesterol for a penny a day, $3.65 a year, and your blood pressure and your other things. You have unlimited access to text your doctor. It means you don't have delays when you have depression because you have such great access and that could be available to just about anybody. Um, I, I think people underestimate our goal there to make health insurance available to the masses, but we just want it done in an affordable, effective way. Um, take Medicaid, for example. I, I think direct primary care is, is a must for any sustainable state Medicaid system. When you think that Kansas at one point was spending $400 a month for generic Keppra for seizures that I can buy wholesale for $12. So you know, pardon my French, but why the hell does CVS get a $388 check every month when the at-risk individual is only given $12 in value? I, I can maybe not double the budget for Kansas and Medicaid, but I can double the purchasing power. And that's just as good. There you're is- flattening out the PBMs. You're flattening out the brokers. You're flattening out the insurance companies. You're a gigantic threat. You're FedEx and Southwest Airlines and Netflix all rolled into one. <laughs> the, the status quo must not like you very much. Um, the the only gop gore, the only ox we gore really is retail pharmacy. Uh, I'll happily throw them under the bus and often try to flick them on social media to get them to pay attention to me. And they uh, very wisely choose not to because um, they would make us a martyr. Um, you know, we can offer a level of price transparency that that even the government can't. Um, you know, D- Donald Trump, President Trump has tried numerous things lately to uh, encourage or force price transparency and met with great resistance because it would have to pass legal mustard or legislative session, et cetera. But the free part of the free market is what makes it so powerful is I can get these meds at these prices now and in a sustainable and profitable way for the uh, wholesalers. And um, and they can't stop that. So we don't need a law against PBMs when we intuitively don't want a PBM because you can't make it any cheaper. Uh, that's the, the reason uh, these other Blockbuster unicorn, blockbuster. These unicorn companies are are doing so well as they find value, and and if that means carving it off another business, they will. Costco, you know, it's that's the same idea. How big of a store can we build and mark everything up only fourteen percent so that you see value in your membership? Uh, why we it took so long to apply it to to medicine is kind of beyond me, but this means. The insurance companies have told us their profit margins are four times higher working with direct care uh, because we're out competing CVS and Walgreens and, and you know, Care Mark and, uh, and no one else has been. So if, if we can do that when they can't, then they can lower their premiums and have so that they can gain more market share. This is, is, this is why I don't blame insurance companies. I blame doctors. It's our fault for not innovating in ways that directly help our patients. But but now that we know, we can reverse that. How do we, number one, find Dr. Josh, and then how do we find Kirk? Um, uh, Kirk is uh, probably best reached at his email, Kirk, K-I-R-K, at atlas.md. And then uh, my email, D-R-J-O-S-H, at atlas.md, or Twitter, or Facebook, 
Um, you know, we help any doctor free of charge. We have all kinds of materials online. Um, whenever this hits a little national attention, we get a ton of contacts from patients and we can send them to a map, uh, atlas.md slash MAP map so that they can look for doctors in their area. You know, and mm-hmm. it was only a few years ago where we'd open one or two clinics a month. We opened 22 clinics in May, 13 in July, and we're up to 15 already for, or, I'm sorry, 13 in June and 15 in July. So this really is a grassroots movement that is, is picking up momentum. Very exciting. Okay, you get to fly a banner over America with a simple message. What is your message to Americans? Uh, I, that the, the free market works here. Um, direct primary care is is a viable and uh, sustainable option, and, and they can embrace that, that they you know, have a solution that means more care more often for less money with great insurance at half the price. And it, if it sounds too good to be true, you know, we understand. But that if they embrace this, they can take it to their doctors. The doctors benefit a lot from seeing the positive demand from patients. They just need the extra push. So I really do think the, the future is bright. The future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. But the more that patients hear about this, the, the faster it grows, the sooner everyone will be in a, in a better place. Well, I can't tell you how refreshing this interview is compared to the usual complain and explain um, solution uh, we hear so much on main platforms. This is really quite a breath of fresh air. Thank you for your time, and we'll do this again very soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, Help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.